Hello, everyone. Uh, once again, it's your host, Alfred Faber, coming at you live, not live, uh, from Sydney. Uh, if this is your first time, I'm a soundie and filmmaker, and on this show, I chat to the people who bring sight and sound together in film. Uh, I hope your quarantine is going well. I'm dying inside a little bit, but that's okay. Uh, being inside all the time has given me the time to do some interviews via Skype and, uh, you know, get in contact with people. If you guys have any feedback or comments or requests about the podcast, please do follow me on Facebook uh, at Sound Perspective. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Sound Perspect or Instagram at Alfie Faber Sound. Today's guy is a super special guest and I'm really excited because he's the first picture editor that I've had on the podcast. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Alfie, a picture editor? This is called Sound Perspective. What are you doing talking to a picture editor? On the contrary, my friend, this podcast isn't just about sound. The thing I love about film is how it combines these different mediums and art forms into one. I work in sound a lot, so that's who I'll talk to a lot, but from the beginning I've been wanting to interview an editor because they have such a significant role in that juxtaposition between the audio and the image, which is what makes film so exciting. So anyway, today's guest is a legend, Doug Kreiss, an American editor who's worked on films like Birdman, The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance, uh, Spring Breakers, The Beach Bum and Babel, for which he was nominated for an Oscar in editing. He's a really lovely guy to chat to, so I hope you enjoy. Uh, Doug Christ, thank you so much for coming on. Oh, sure. Why not? (laughs) (laughs) Not like there's much else for us to do at the moment. Yeah. 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 But, um... So I read a bit about your career. So um, you studied film in Pittsburgh. Did you know that you wanted to be an editor from that point? Or was it something you realized? I think it's something I more or less discovered. I um, uh, I didn't think I was going to be an editor when I was in film school. I, I In fact, I didn't even take a, an editing class. I, oh. uh, the, you know, Pittsburgh had a weird thing back then. I don't know if it's much different now. You know, it's just part of the English department and it's just film studies. And then they, but they had a local place. It's like, it was an art school, like mm-hmm. a, a filmmakers, it was Pittsburgh filmmakers. And they, at, at University of Pittsburgh let you take these classes there in conjunction with the, the university. And they had production classes. Mm-hmm. And I took like cinematography and filmmaking and you, you did editing and filmmaking, but I didn't take their actual editing class. Mm-hmm. I took their sound class. Mm. <laughs> so, but when I decided to, you know, when I was getting close to graduation, I thought I should do an internship. So I had got this thing from uh, this company in Los Angeles called uh, Chanticleer. And I, um, they were looking for interns. So I got an internship and I came out and, and, and I always kind of thought I was going to had more of an interest in photography and cinematography and stuff. But when I got out there, they put me in the art department of all places. And the guy they had hired to drive the truck, he was the lead man, was afraid to drive the truck. 
<laughs> so I was driving the truck. Yeah. And after about a month of this, I got kind of pissed off. This was my internship driving truck. <laughs> and I wasn't getting paid. Yeah. You know, the guy you're paying was scared to drive the truck. <laughs> so so after about a month of it, I, I only had a few weeks left. So I said, I want to do something else. Mm. And they were in post on one of their films. Mm. And they stuck me in the editing room. Mm. And yeah, I immediately liked it. I immediately was like, oh, this is, you know, because we were working in some really hot environments. And I'm like, this is like air conditioned and there's movie openers. <laughs> and this is this is more what I want to do. Yeah. And, you're, and I realized, you know, it was a more creative avenue of working. So mm. than than being what I felt was like a truck driver at the time. You know? Yeah. Not yeah. Put truck drivers down. But I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it was more what I wanted to do. So, yeah, and yeah. I've done a lot of like editing my dad's Super Eight movies when I was a kid, so I was oh, cool. I guess I had it in me, didn't know it. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, and when was that in LA? Because I did I did read about how when you first moved to LA, you uh just did a bit of truck driving and all kinds of odd jobs. Yeah, it was it was in Hollywood. This mm. little company, yeah, Chanticleer. They were making shorts for Showtime at the time. Right, right. And they were their their app their their thing they were doing was to give young new directors a chance. There were people who hadn't directed anything yet, and they would get them, get them a, they'd write a thirty minute script, and they were airing um, these shows. And the one show I worked on was called Hogs Heaven, mm. and um, I was on it for production. And then when, that was when I ended up in post on because it was in post when they were starting their next one. And um, I remember Keith Gordon was in it. <laughs> I don't remember. I don't remember the the director's name now. But uh, Keith Gordon, yeah, he was in uh, Back to School with Rodney Dangerfield. I remember he was the he mm. played Rodney Dangerfield's son. Cool. cool. So that was my first celebrity I met. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah. But yeah, we're all in L.A. We were shooting the thing down in like uh, South Central Los Angeles, and right. It was uh, kind of a scary neighborhood at the time. <laughs> that was the 90s, so yeah. Yeah. And um, even, so even as an assistant editor, though, you worked on a really impressive array of films like yeah. 21 Grams and The Ocean's 11 and 12. And was there, um, even in the role as assistant editor, was there a lot to be learned from um, that role? Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's... It you know my I would say my lucky break was I you know I'd worked on assisted on a bunch of stuff but it's when I started working with Stephen Marioni mm. and and I was his assistant mm. and that's where um, um, ended up working with him and I would say he was he would I would consider him my mentor mm. I mean he's he taught me more about editing than anybody else mm. and he was he's younger than me and more fresh out of film school than I was. And, mm. and, um, uh, but he seemed to have a knack for it. He just, he just had God's gift somehow. He, mm. he could break down stories and break down, you know, the structure of things and know if a scene wasn't shot the way it should have been shot or yeah. say, you know, this story, this is not, this is how it should be told. This mm. isn't, they're not telling it the right way. Mm. And, um, and and he you know always cuts for the, you know would cut for the emotion of the scene and yeah and, and things like that yeah there was a lot of apprenticeship with working with him that 
and, and he would give me scenes to edit you mm. know yeah um, yeah. yeah do you get that a lot yeah. when you're an assistant editor it's not just kind of conforming and um uh yeah i was i was his lead assistant mm. i mean we were when we were doing those earlier films like uh um like uh traffic was one of the one of the ones we worked on together we worked on traffic and we were still printing film in those days mm. and i was his avid assistant and um, we had film assistants in the room too. Mm. So, but we would we would do all the cutting on the Avid, and then and then we'd have to conform the work print for screenings. Right. Yeah. That's how yeah. We'd show it to people. So, you know, and in that world, yeah, it was easy for him to say, "You want to do a scene? You want to do this scene?" Because mm. you're not working in the film and as much. I did a little bit of cutting for an editor once in the film world mm. on a movie that was cut on film and yeah. and like that. But it did, wasn't a lot of opportunity very early on. And I was pretty green back then too. So Yeah. I'm reading yeah. um in the blink of the eye in the blink of an eye at the moment. Yeah. And um the end section where he's talking about the the pros and cons of film versus digital. But he's yeah. talking about like nineties digital, I think. And it's yeah. such a foreign world to me, the idea of having to do all those workarounds as opposed to just dropping files in a piece of software and yeah, doing I mean, all the hard work for you. It would have been such a different like creative process. Well, even, yeah, even the early, did, I, you know, I got into digital kind of late, but there was a time where, you know, if you were on a feature of any size, you couldn't have all your media online at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, the drives weren't big enough. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you could only have like a third of your film. If you had a film that shot, you know, 200 hours of footage, you could mm. have 200 hours online. Yeah, yeah. It would be compressed so badly that you could barely, you know, look horrible. <laughs> so it was like cutting, you know, with a really bad quality early, you know, YouTube film, you know, mm. where it's you yeah. know, when a standard definition and it's like, yeah, standard definition too. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, we were printing, we print film clear up until the days of uh, HD became a viable thing. You could really? cut in HD. And, really? Wow. Yeah. Wow. You know, you could work and that way you could screen the HD. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, you know, because even if we did like one of the last films I think I did was Babel where we were cutting in standard def mm. on an Abbott. Mm. But when we wanted to screen, we got a different what they call an avid ds machine in mm. and we would re-digitize the cut in wow. hd yeah so so that we would be able to do that wow. and then we'd have to output to hd tape mm. to to <laughs> screen somewhere yeah so now you walk in the screen room with a quick time yeah so, yeah <laughs> it's, it's it's a different world yeah so, yeah yeah you can render out the cut in in you know in two hours so mm. Mm. Um, well, I'm interested in the kind of different relationships that different ed editors have with sound and working with sound and like the amount that you would think about it or even include it in your process. Are you someone that extensively uses temp sound effects and does that like help you at all? Well, uh, I, yeah, I definitely, now that the digital world exist i mean it was a hassle in the film days mm. but i mean but you the experience is always better with how good of sound work you do in the temp mm. process i mean everything i won't say everything 
everything I do will probably get replaced mm. in some capacity when I'm cutting a movie. You know, I've cut the dialogue, I'll clean the dialogue up, but there'll be another dialogue editor when the the movie's posted that they'll redo all the dialogue and, mm. and I'll cut tons of sound effects in, mm. but they'll replace a lot of them because they'll yeah. have better sounding ones or they'll do Foley and, mm. and, and I temp musicing all the time. Mm. So, yeah. and, uh, and it depends on the director. I mean, most directors, I would say, you know, 90% of them want music in the cut and they want and they want to experiment with it. And it's, yeah. and it, it is something that's helpful. And I, I like to cut with music a lot. Yeah. I mean, I, I tend to do it because it kind of motivates me, mm. you know, yeah. just kind of like I'll do a scene and I love it when I drop on a piece of tent music and it makes the scene more yeah. emotional. To me. Yeah. And, and, you know, I don't want to fall in the trap of, and I'll, you know, I'll do that. I'll drop music on scenes and I'll do it and I'll love it. But, you know, as I'm building the whole movie together, I'll come be watching the whole thing. And I'm like, no, I don't want music there. I mm. want that to play dry and the yeah. music shouldn't come in until later. And mm. you're still experimenting with all that. So, and I do a lot of sound work. I don't go, I'm not crazy. Mm. I'm not one of these. There are some editors that will have, 24 tracks of audio running yeah yeah i always i've always i came out of the school of never having more than eight mm. <laughs> um tracks of audio going but now i tend to have a little bit more because of also for the sound the dialogue you know you'll have uh isos going yeah yeah and i'll be cutting with a mixed track but then i want to go into certain isolated tracks and mm. all of those in and I'll have maybe three or four tracks of sound effects and probably about three, you know, well, they have stereo tracks in the habit now. So I'll have like two tracks of music going or something yeah. across mm -hmm. so they can overlap if they need to or something. Mm -hmm. I don't like to get my tracks more than maybe I can go up to 12 now. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I'm not, I'm not nuts. Yeah. And I think you can make it sound pretty good. Mm -hmm. And I only do stereo. I don't yeah. worry about doing uh, uh yeah you know, surround yeah yeah i mean maybe if i worked on a marvel movie <laughs> that would be important yeah but marvel movies i don't know do they ever preview them <laughs> you know are there, um, are there many editors though who uh don't actually team. put that much sound in or who don't work yeah. with sound at all i've heard i heard terence yeah. malick edits without sound um mm -hmm. is that do you know if that's true I had a director recently that didn't want any music. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. He was, and because nothing was good enough for him. <laughs> and we basically, no temp music was good enough. Right. And then we basically ended up with pretty much, when I finally got the movie, there was like maybe three pieces of music in the whole movie. Right. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it, but that's, that's the rarity rather than the norm. I mean, mm, mm. most, they at least want sound effects going through if they can help it. Yeah. And I, and, um, but yeah, I tend to think, and it's so easy to do. And if, mm. if the editor doesn't have time, if you have some assistance to do it, yeah, yeah. I, I do a lot of it myself because I come out of the assistant world where I did it for my editor all the time. Yeah. So while they were, when he was done with picture scene, he'd hand it to me and I, he wouldn't even fill tracks sometimes, you know mm. what I mean by that, right? Where you, 
there'd be a gap in the edit where yeah. there'd be a sound because they didn't have any sound for it. He yeah. wouldn't even feel that. Right. Or if he cut out like a director cue, yeah. he'd leave it empty for me. Yeah. <laughs> he'd leave it for me to fill up. And uh, so I, and now, cause I used to do that in the film days too with film mm. track. And, um, but yeah, I did a lot of sound work early on and I just kind of like, I like it because it, you know, it gives me a better experience watching mm. the movie. So I wanted to talk to you because of the beach bum. I okay. saw that at um, a, f- a festival in Sydney. Was it last year now? And I came out of it being like, I have to talk to the editor of it because it was just so wild. And what I found so incredibly inventive was how um, you cut it so that the actors, when when dialogue was happening they would be in different positions during different uh, lines, and but the dialogue flowed naturally, but it's like their movement was completely uncoordinated and um, yeah. hectic. And I was curious about how planned that was because it was so seamless and it was so fun, but, like, was that something that was planned heavily or did they just kind of get wild, crazy coverage and you had to make it work <laughs> well you have to know harmony um yeah. uh the the thing is i'm gonna I, I i wanted to talk to you because of the beach bump like i was saying <laughs> earlier i didn't know if i you know really care about doing stuff like this but you were the fact that you you opened your email to me that i love the beach bump is <laughs> i have to talk to the guy who says he loves the beach bump <laughs> because it I'm going to read this to you. I, I pulled this up. I, there's a, you know the the comedian John Mulaney. I'm going off your question here. No, I don't know him, but yeah, yeah, he he, well, he was on Saturday Night Live. He's he used to be a writer for Saturday Night Live and yeah. stand up and yeah, he he wrote a, he wrote a tweet. It said, "I went to see the Beach Bum twice in one week, and you might not like Beach Bum, but I've never seen a funnier movie in my life." Every second made me laugh. Martin Lawrence and Jonah Hill should win Oscars for it. Yeah. And McConaughey should win the Nobel Prize for a movie. <laughs> and it's just like the, his review is funny. I just yeah. thought that was funny. I, I thought it was incredible. It was so joyous. It was so much fun. It was like, yeah. yeah. And it was just so energetic. I've Harmony Korean is like one of the reasons I got into film. I just remember watching Gummo as a kid and being just like blown yeah. away at it yeah he's he's out there he's he's i tell you he's he's one of the nicest guys mm. yeah and 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 he's one of the and he's a lot of fun and what he told me you know because the beat you know the spring breakers has some of the elements that beach bum has where we the dialogue jumps around through different settings yeah and uh it definitely has that and uh, he's he loves that technique he he doesn't plan it mm. other than the fact that basically what he does is he says he got the idea from doing commercials where commercials will start some uh, part of the dialogue or start the thing and it jumps to something else to continue it. Yeah. Um, and so he's, why can't I do that in a movie? Yeah. So what he basically does is he shoots every scene twice. Really? Yeah. He shoots it in one place and then shoots it in another place. Yeah. That's and then cool. he'll then he'll change the blocking sometimes within the, without changing place. Mm. So there'll be different blockings. If nothing has to match, it all has to be on the flow of the dialogue. Mm. 
So when I put it together, I pick the moments I like the best. I don't care where it is. Yeah, and yeah. I don't care. Or we pick what's the prettiest. Yeah. You know, it, it's it's kind of like, it's, it's, but what is funny about Harmony, he's one of the, I, I, I get to take a lot of credit for the editing of his films because he leaves you alone. Mm, mm. He doesn't he doesn't micromanage at all. That's cool. Yeah. And and what he he basically said to me when we did Spring Breakers, he said he said just mix it up. That's mm. all he said. Just mix it up. Yeah. And that was that was and I hadn't even I hadn't even met him yet. We <laughs> were uh, we were talking on the phone and he hired me over the phone and yeah and he just said you know mix it up. So when I did the Beach Bum, which was our second one to do together. I kind of knew what I was going to get and it's just, yeah, it's just, it's just, it's just the fun of like building a scene and, and constantly not having to, you just keep the story moving forward. Yeah. You keep everything moving forward by mm. jumping to the next scene or the next shot mm. and maybe starting dialogue before you get there and finishing it, you know, and being able to jump around within the scene itself by being in, by the way he films it mm, mm. like one scene he ended up doing in the movie was um where snoop dogg and isla fisher are out on the balcony and she's talking to her, to matthew on the other end yeah and he's saying you have to come to the wedding he shot that in two different places too of them her, her and snoop dogg one out on the balcony and one in the bedroom yeah and my initial cut did both mm, yeah but harmony's like you know the bedroom's boring Mm. Like just stay out on the balcony. It's yeah. much prettier. It's much nicer. Mm. And but usually we 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 do still jump around. We mm. we, we you know because Matthew the other other side of that phone call Matthew was outside standing along the water and then he was also sitting in the bar. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and yeah, he just shoots it twice with different angles for each setup, like as if he's going to have the Crazy. scene. I know it's 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 it, but it's it's fun. Yeah, yeah. So you yeah. said you said he gives you a lot of freedom. Does he then yeah. like come with a lot of notes after that? Does he watch it and or uh, no. and ask for many? Really, he just kind of no, lets it's, you it's go like, for it, it. It's it's like literally we work together pretty well. It's like like Spring Breakers. I assembled the film like in three weeks. We had a cut we loved. Really, we were like we were like sit down and we would work. We'd go through the movie. He never works long days. Mm. I mean, that's another thing I love about him. He, never, <laughs> he, he shows up at shows up at ten and leaves at four o'clock, <laughs> and um, he comes in and we he'll work on a section. We'll work for you know work on a twenty minute section, mm. and then the next day we'll work on another section, and and you know within three weeks we're through the whole film. Wow! And then and then it's just a matter of the next rest of the director's cut, like okay, well, maybe we can mess with this a little bit. Yeah, cool. Or maybe we can mess with that. But he never overly, I shouldn't tell this to too many people here, but I mean, never overly ex examines it a lot. Yeah. No, and, I, like, and, I don't think that's a bad thing at all. I don't think yeah. that you have to be a kind of meticulous or tour to make good films. I think Harmony Crane's films are very obviously just from his personality and they're just so kind of effervescent and tonal like that's what i love about them they don't yeah, require he, deep analysis or anything yeah you know what's funny is he's such a kind of a a, a goofy fun guy mm. 
and but yet underneath it somewhere is a is an artist that, yeah yeah that is that is just like has subconsciously he does stuff that no one else would think of mm. or or shoots it in a way that no one else would and yeah. and and it, there is some brilliance there that you just you don't initially see at the surface until you you know mm. work with him and, mm. and deal with it mm. Because he was telling me once that, you know, one thing he li loves to do, he'll write a script and he'll write the scene and he'll like he in Spring Breakers, he placed the scene in a Burger King. And and, you know, in this conversation that Alien had with the girls and, mm. and then he's like, he realized that wasn't dangerous enough. Yeah. You know, so that he was put just it in two, the pool. Two more, yeah. The yeah. pool hall. Yeah. It's all about the location. Let's do yeah. this somewhere else. Yeah. And and then he makes up stuff on the day. Yeah, he, he didn't have the scene with where where Faith wanted to leave, and Alien tries to persuade her to stay. Mm. It said in the script literally, Faith wants to leave, so she leaves. Right. And that was it. Yeah. <laughs> so the whole scene of him persuading her to stay and her telling him she wants to go mm. was just made up that day. Wow. So they're That's like, let's cool. do that. He, yeah. he just told uh, Franco. He says. I want you to go in this room with her and don't, don't let her leave. Mm. And he told her, you want to go home. Yeah. Don't let him talk, you know? Yeah. <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah. And that's like, all he told them. Some of, some of my friends who say they don't like spring breakers, they're like, there's no structure. It's too loose. What's it yeah. about? And, but that's what I love about it. Like just the flow of it. And, like, so much of that energy, though, is made by the cutaways and just the random things shot. Is there, like, when editing that, you must spend a lot of time just, like, going through rushes. But how do you decide, kind of, where to place those cutaways and those random bits? Well, it's, it's, it's kind of like, it's all, in a weird way, like, music and dialogue driven, you know, mm. you... You know, one of the things I got into, you know, because like I said, he shoots scenes twice. Yeah. And in Spring Breakers. Oh, he did that did Spring he, Breakers as well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cool, not cool. only did he do that, but then I repeated the dialogue. Mm. Like the girls, when they're planning the robbery, they're talking about, we just, just do this. Let's think about it as a video game. Yeah. Those lines are said twice. Yeah. You know, and it's because he shot the one scene with them sitting in the in like a library or somewhere saying mm. it and he also shot him standing outside in the rain saying it. yeah yeah and i repeated i repeated the lines almost like a dream mm. and because i because there was so much beautiful footage i wanted to use it all yeah but i didn't want to just play footage with nothing being said mm. or heard mm. Mm. so then i that's where i got into the routine of that movie of just having it be redundant yeah yeah. Let's do it. Say it again. Say it again. It's so, and what was weird when I showed the scene to some college kids early on, when, you know, right after the movie came out, they told they hadn't seen it, and they said to me when they saw that scene, it reminded them. It was weird. It reminded them of their day and they're talking with their friends. Right. How you just say something and then you yeah. talk about it later, and then you talk yeah. about it later. Yeah. And it's it, and I didn't wasn't trying to do that, but <laughs> it, but. It, it, there was just so much gorgeous footage and like that scene was like I what what really spoke to me early on was there's a scene of just the headlights on the road mm. and it reminded me of the Coen Brothers film Blood Simple mm. 
And, and I just, that was such a iconic image of that road. And I kept one. So I wanted to hear those girls talking about what they're going to do while we see them driving there. Yeah. Yet going back to them still talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the movie was constantly moving forward, but then stepping back. Mm, mm. And it was, it was just, it just kind of a, uh, a weird thing that we, and, and as, as Harmony calls it a fluid editing. Yeah. Where yeah. it's sort of fluid. It doesn't have a, a structure to it. Mm, mm. And, but to me, the structure is always the dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, but you mentioned the cutting around the music for it and the music in Spring Breakers was so iconic because it just kind of captured the zeitgeist of it, like having a string yeah. orchestral arrangement of Skrillex. That was just so yeah. funny. Like, And was that music that was like written in the script very early on that they had, or that they knew no. they had the, no? Oh, right, no. right. No. But... no, it was, well, Harmony always wanted to use Skrillex music. Mm. Yeah. And, and this is how much of a, old nerd i am i never heard of edm or any of it at the time <laughs> i didn't know skrillex at all and uh he said i want to use skrillex i want skrillex to do the music and uh, and i want to use his music and he's so we're getting he's given it he gave it to me sent me a bunch of stuff and he's in he's in uh saint petersburg shooting the movie and i was back in los angeles mm. and i was putting the movie together and then he called me one day. He says, you know, I want, why don't we try using like more of a conventional score mm. for this movie in a lot of places. And so that spoke to me easier because I didn't know how I was going to use this, you know, this <laughs> Skrillex stuff, as, you know, as an emotional thing to carry me through these scenes. Yeah. So I immediately started using Cliff Martinez. Mm. It just felt like, you know, the electronic sound of his and the drums and the, I, I really is a fan of his and, so I was laying his stuff in early, and it was to me it was working perfectly. Mm. So that's how the collaboration kind of went. I had done that, and then we still found places to use Skrillex songs. Mm. And and at the time we were going to have, and but the end scene you sort of mentioned with the Skrillex song done in, in in strings, yeah, was an idea that came. I put an opera cue in, the one that really? I don't know what it's called, but it's used in Raging Bull, the beginning of Raging Bull. Right. I used that for the ending of the shootout when yeah. the girls are shooting. I put this opera cue in. And it was Cliff Martinez who came in and said, why don't I take Skrillex's song and make a string version of it? And we thought, well, that'll never be as good as his opera cue. Yeah. And the moment we got it from him, we're like, okay this is 10 times better it's so but, because it's so melancholic isn't it like yeah. when you remove the wob wob wobs from it it's like yeah. the intro is just this really sad it worked great i loved it yeah yeah it sounded like su sounds like such a fun experience but um let's talk about that film up in the corner of your screen there birdman oh, yeah yeah so I've heard of Birdman actually being at least a hundred cuts. So I imagine in many ways it was just similar to cutting any movie. Um, but other than the practicalities, what were some of the creative challenges in f kind of faking one a one shot? Well, it's not one take. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, of course. As everybody already knows. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, but it it um, you know the way that I, I can tell you a little bit of Alejandro's process early on. They, mm. I mean, Stephen was involved at the beginning, and Alejandro and him, they they were planning the shoot, and Alejandro shot um, shot a lot of rehearsals. Mm. He he had the actors in a room. Mm. And he started shooting tons of rehearsals and had the actors rehearsing all the scenes so they could be playing. He shot for a couple of weeks of shooting rehearsals. In fact, yeah. we had rehearsals. We didn't have a not. We didn't have every scene, but we had a lot of scenes that we were able to sort of cut together with yeah. the rehearsal footage. Mm. And that was early on. But then Stephen wasn't on the show during the shoot in in the room. He was on another film. So that's where I was. That's why I was brought on the film. Mm. And the. Um, the uh, the the process basically was I, I what I learned is a challenge that I didn't really realize up mm. to that point of trying to keep uh, something in one shot like that is they had their plan points where they were going to do their edits where yeah. they would they would always they call it their stitch mm. where where they would the, the sh- this take would be this long yeah. and we'd get, reach the point where we're going to do our edit mm. and. But the challenge is you find out that, you know, I don't want, you know, actors are great. They were all excellent actors, but sometimes you want to change something. Mm. You want, you like, and they would do a lot of takes and you're like, well, take 25 has this, it's really good, but take, take 17 is better for this. Mm. So you, we would find spots where we could fake it, where we yeah. could do another edit that we didn't realize and i found i've it came creative oh, so you were figure. you were kind of making up these techniques as you went along yeah way. you would you would find spots that you never dreamed you would do an edit yeah cool and 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 like there's one shot in the movie i we were never supposed to talk about it when the movie came out but i can talk about it now it's years later cool. there's there's one moment where um michael keaton's given the speech on the stage mm. about this doctor and I forget the exact dialogue, you know, yeah. he, you know, and Ed Norton's getting mad at the back in the background because his booze isn't real booze anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I well, love that that's bit. like a, that's like a 45 second wipe. Really? The shot comes around Michael Keaton. We're wiping, we're rotoring around his body. Really? So we can switch to another take of Ed Norton sitting in the background. Wow. So when Ed Norton gets up, we yeah. have the good Norton performance where he's yelling at Michael Keaton. Yeah. You know, mm. and, but we liked the Michael Keaton performance earlier. Yeah. 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 So we yeah. Want both. So, and there's our edit because it's a 45 second wipe that's yeah. happening. You can't see. Yeah. And we, you know, we came up with a few things like that. Mm. People all think all the, all the edits happen when you whip pan or you, or you yeah. tilt up and, and, but there and was a, there use, was a lot of VFX. Uh, the whole movie is a visual effect. Yeah, effects. yeah, yeah. <laughs> because of that, because you're doing things that are there's things that I didn't know existed at the time where you you cut you know you go from one thing where you go to a, uh, an image like a wall or a hallway, mm. and then you pick up another shot from that wall or hallway, but, but you have to create the part that goes in the middle digitally. Mm. Right, right. So that you can marry the two shots together and mm. you give the illusion it's all staying as one. Yeah. And it's yeah. called it's a digital stitch. Mm. And mm. and but you can't do that till you do the visual effect. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. but it you know, the thing is that one thing that you pull out all your other tricks as an editor 
you know, you replace lines of dialogue in their mouth from different mm. takes because you like the performance from a different take. Yeah. You, you ramp the speed of something up, mm. like just speeding up the shot a little bit, mm. like 10%, mm. just so things go a little quicker. Or you'll speed up the shot between lines of dialogue so the, di the dialogue goes back and forth quicker. Right, yeah. You, 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 and it's not noticeable because you're, the people are standing pretty still or the camera's not moving a lot. Yeah. And, um, and you do a lot of extra stuff you don't, and I carried some things from that to other films. I did a movie with Diego Luna after that, mm. where he was trying to do something in one shot. Right. And he only had two takes, mm. but one take, one part was better and the other part was better. Yeah, yeah. And had I not done Birdman, mm. I would have never thought, well, we can stitch these two when yeah. he goes, when, when um, Danny Glover walks by the camera and, you know, we can we yeah. can hide the edit in a wipe somehow. Yeah. And you won't see it. Yeah. And and yeah, I would have never thought of that probably had I not done Birdman. Yeah. It's interesting it having to figure out these technical solutions to creative problems. Yeah. But so you had a kind of draft cut of the film from those rehearsal shoots before the proper bit, yeah. rehearsal. Like yeah. a half cut, did you? Well, we yeah, it was like a half cut of mm. some stuff just to get it started, and yeah. then Alejandro would shoot. Pretty much, he would shoot about a five minute, four or five minute section a day, and usually be in one setup. Yeah, and it, and he would do it twenty five to thirty times if yeah. he could, and he would change the blocking from take one to take five. So mm. for the first five takes are no good now <laughs> because he's decided it's going to be done a different way. Yeah, and uh, you know. But you know he's experimenting and he's and it's a rehearsal. So they would spend all they would spend all morning rehearsing the cut, mm. rehearsing the shot, and then they would shoot the shot. Mm. They shoot about two setups a day, <laughs> right? So, um, and I would go see him at lunchtime and take the footage from the day before and say, hey, you know, and he would say to me, I want you to try. He always says, I want you to try an exercise. That's what and always and. <laughs> And the exercise was, can you make a, a part where you can use a little bit of this take and a little bit of this take and find mm. a way to put those both in yeah. so that we can have the best of both worlds? Yeah. You know, and, you know, because if you know Alejandro, he doesn't like to compromise. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, you know, I think there was like maybe one or two things in the film where he, well, I can't, we can't do a, we can't do a cut here. We can't hide an edit here. Yeah. It would cost, you know, it would cost a half a million dollars to do that. <laughs> So we're going to, we're going to have to compromise. We're going to have to stay with that. Yeah. But. And um, I heard in the interview that he actually reshot a bit of a scene on your suggestion that because of Emma Stone's performance or something. No, it wasn't, it wasn't the Emma Stone scene. It was, uh, it was, it wasn't about performance. It was just something I didn't, I wasn't trying to get him. I would never tell Alejandro to reshoot something. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> I, I I would never tell that man. You know, he's he's the guy's brilliant. I the 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 no, it was just that I was one of the early scenes. It was the scene where Michael Keaton's talking to the reporters. Right. Yeah. And and the camera, the way he'd shot it originally, he pretty much the scene stayed on the reporters the whole mm. time. Yeah. And that's how the coverage was. And 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 I just said to him, "Oh, I'm losing you here," but I said to him. Um, you know, if I was editing the scene with 
edits, I'd cut to see Michael's reaction and we don't have his reaction. Mm. And he said to me, he says, you do that? And I go, yeah. I says, I feel like we're not on the right emphasis here. We're on the reporters and not mm. on him. And, and he goes, oh. And so then he called Stephen because Stephen was in London. Mm. And he says, does Doug know we're doing this movie in one shot? And, <laughs> and, and I, you know, which was the funniest thing. You know, he could have said that to me. I knew, of course I knew that. And uh, so literally like two or three days later, he reshot the scene block differently. That's very cool. Yeah. 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 And yeah. I'm like, I didn't mean to make him do that. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, oh well. But he must be, re- he, he must have been quite well practiced at like juggling a lot of stuff in his head after Babel with like a story with that many plot lines trying to fit it together. What was the creative process on that like? Um, was it very regimented to the script, the plot, or did you, you guys experiment a bit? No, we, you know, like every film, everything changes mm. to some extent. I mean, it was, there was, um, um, the main thing that I remember Stephen and, uh, Alejandro did early on, they were, they thought, well, maybe we, when we're telling this story, cause it was always supposed to cut between the different stories and the timeline and the structure was written that way. Mm. But he, he thought, well, maybe we need to bounce around between the stories a little bit more frequently. Yeah. And, what they found was no, that didn't work. This, mm. The script actually had the right idea. Mm. They knew they had the right points to be bouncing around between the stories because we were worried if we were going to stay in a story for like twenty minutes, maybe we better get to the other one. Mm. And and they did that, and that, that they threw that idea out. Mm. But what ended up happening, though, you know, like every movie changes. There was little, there were subplots that were lost mm. to tighten the story, especially in the Mexico section. There was a there was a subplot where the bride didn't want to show up for the wedding and the and mm. the the mother had to go and say you get to my son's wedding mm. uh, <laughs> you know that was not that was lost in the edit and yeah. and there were other ideas that were lost one of the biggest ideas was the was the lost in the desert part because we changed how that all worked mm. because um but you know it's standard stuff you do in a mm. movie all the time. Yeah. I mean, it was, just, it was, it was one thing I remember all Hunter said early on was I want to keep everything. I, but I needed the movie shorter. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, cause our, I think our first cut was over three hours or something. Wow. Yeah. And he says, I need the movie shorter, but I want, I want to lose anything. Mm. And that's what we try. I mean, we did lose a little bit, yeah. but <laughs> we, we, uh, we got it down to like two fifteen. And we kept all the stories going and moving and kept yeah. the pace pretty good. Mm. Um, yeah. So, mm. well, I'll let, I'll let you go after this one last question. Doug. Okay. I'm just curious. Do you have any um, plans to pursue anything other than editing? Uh, you know, I don't think so. Cool. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Uh, I, uh, you know, everybody probably dreams of, uh, directing or doing something like that i may have had that goofy idea in my head early on Mm. but i don't think i I don't think i have what it takes (laughs) (laughs) so um i i i like cutting other people's stories and doing Mm. being part of the process that way yeah and i feel like i'm i it it fills my creative juices enough Mm. 
mm. that I get to do this and meet some really interesting people and work on some really cool projects and yeah you know and do you know the things I'm doing now so mm. yeah I I probably you know I'm not that young anymore so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not I don't I don't have an ambition to go into a different different field yeah if, if anything I'd, I'd leave the movie business and do something uh relaxing go move <laughs> to a log cabin in the woods yeah do something a, that I, a sauna or something yeah but i couldn't get my wife to agree to that so, <laughs> so yeah. all right doug thank you so much for all right. coming on the pod it's been great thanks again to doug for coming on what an absolutely lovely fella thanks to uh jd legulon for the music and sound design stay classy you guys Thank you.